0: This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's, it's never just, easy
1: to yeah. challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman.
0: Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system. Puts us into fight or flight mode and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. In today's episode, I interview Megan Pearson. Megan is the founder of the PCOS Awareness Association, also known as PCOSAA. With it being PCOS Awareness Month, we thought it a perfect time to speak with someone who has both deep personal experience with such a complex condition and built a powerful organization to provide the support she wishes she had during her own journey. Learn about her story, what PCOS is, the challenges women face, and solutions for PCOS symptoms. Please join me in welcoming Megan Pearson.
1: I myself, so when I was about nine years old, I started showing symptoms of PCOS, but at the time um, it, you know, it wasn't known. Um, my, my mother didn't know what, what was going on with me. It just was, you know, I was gaining weight. I was an active child, but I had gained something like 50 pounds in a short amount of time. And for a nine-year-old, that that could be pretty hefty. I I am tall, but still it was very apparent that something was wrong. And I was um, losing my hair. I had acne like no other. But of
0: course, as an adolescent, that is just what happens, right? I didn't realize this was as an adolescent too. My goodness. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, my mom was my mom's like my largest supporter and my largest advocate. So I really appreciate everything that she had done for me um, around nine. So around nine years old, again, she started taking me to the doctors and the doctor was like, Oh, she just needs to lose weight. Um, it's fine. It's she's it's normal. Uh, it's normal for, for adolescents and preteens to be getting uh, acne. And um, my mom was like, no, she just keeps saying she's not feeling well and, Things just don't steam right. Um, so it was from doctor to doctor to doctor that I went. <laughs> uh, my mom was chauffeuring me around to each doctor. And so f- between the ages of nine to about 16, I had seen maybe three to four different doctors. I can't even really remember. I just remember my mom being like, We're going to go see another doctor today. <laughs> and me being just like, Okay. So finally, around the age of 16, Uh, we, I was referred to an OBGYN, um, and she, she took one look at my records and was like, you know, you have PCOS and let's, you know, let's talk about this a little further and let's do some more tests on things. And I had never had a, you know, a pap smear at that time. So she's like, let's do a pap smear and an ultrasound and all that good stuff come to find out that not only was I diagnosed with PCOS, but I was also diagnosed with cervical cancer um, at the age of 16. So it was at that time, It PCOS just really wasn't, you know, it wasn't on my mind and it wasn't really on, it, I mean, I can't say it wasn't on my mother's mind because it was, but it was like, let's take care of this. Cervical cancer first, and, and then let's go from there. So um, you know, I, I had the cancer removed, and then around maybe like twenty twenty one, I really started like being in a lot of pain in my pelvic area and just not understanding what was going on. I was so exhausted all the time, and I just like I said, hair hair loss was even more. I just did depression and anxiety was. So unbearable that it was back to the doctors and left and right, and it was again. Let's just see how how we can help you lose some weight, and you know you really don't have to worry about your PCOS unless until you're you're trying to have a baby. So it became more apparent that PCOS was such a large part of my life when I was admitted into the ER because my cysts ruptured, and it. My mom to this day she says that. When we were leaving the ER, she saw it in my face that I was just like, nope, not doing this ever again. So we, I got to find a way to, to make this better and figure some things out. And it was, it was just life changing because in the ER, the doctors, the attendees were telling me that there was nothing that they could do for me. I just had to go through the pain and suffer through it. And to me, that just didn't make any sense whatsoever. So when I got home, I started like researching PCOS more and I wasn't finding anything that was like substantial to me, as in to me, it seemed like I can't be the only one. And all my research kind of said, oh, you're the odd one out. You know, this is, this is no one else deals with this. So um, you're on your own. And I just wasn't finding the resources and the support systems that I needed. So I actually started, um, you know, going through all of this in the hospital. Um, my, my family is very close. So my family started asking questions about what was going on with me and how they could help. And really, I started Say realizing that nobody knows what PCOS is. So I, at first I just need to, you know, inform my friends and family on what it is. So I started making like these just handmade bracelets and teal. I had learned that teal was the official color of PCOS. So really these handmade bracelets were so, they were so like, I'm not crafty. So they, were, they weren't anything special, but friends, um, So at the time I was living in Seattle, but my family's from Boston, Massachusetts. So I had friends and family in Boston that were asking me to send them bracelets and everything too, because they wanted to help raise awareness. And next thing I knew, um, this is around the time Facebook started opening up really uh, to opening, opening your eyes to the worldwide and and, um, connecting people in different countries and whatnot. And uh, I started getting messages from all over the world from girls and women that were like, I, I was told I have PCOS and I, I've never seen a bracelet. I've never seen anybody else start raising awareness. I thought I was alone and can I get a bracelet? So I was literally sending these bracelets all over <laughs> God's green earth. And um, and that that's when it was like really apparent to me that something needs to be done. Like we need support, we need resources, um, we need more information. And that's that's how PCOS Awareness Association was born. It just was out of pure... Um, my mom's friend always tells me how selfless I was in starting PCOS Awareness Association, but really, it's very selfish. <laughs> um, I needed it. So therefore, it. when there's a will, there's a way, right?
0: <laughs> wow. Well, thank you for sharing your story. And I think what is so interesting to me is even once you received the diagnosis, it's still you still had so much to go through. And I think it also brings to light that this is something that really impacts women's lives in so many ways. And I think we got to hear a glimpse of what that that challenge was. So now that we understand the background of everything you went through, which we are so sorry, but at the same time, so grateful that it led you to build this great organization um, that has created so much awareness. Let's talk about what PCOS is and how it's diagnosed, and then we can get into treatments as well. So PCOS, um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, because I know we've been using the acronym the whole time. So (laughs) for those of you that don't know, it's polycystic ovarian syndrome. We know that it affects 10 million women worldwide. So maybe we can start with the basics and just define what exactly is it and what are some of the common symptoms?
1: 10 million people worldwide and that, that equals one in five. And um, I often w- walk into rooms and I wonder like one, two, three, four, five, um, it's me. And then I start counting more, one, two, three, four, five, one of you. It's just heartbreaking to me, um, but it's an endocrine disorder um, that affects women from head to toe. and we're talking like some of some of the most predominant symptoms. Well, the number one symptom on why people are diagnosed with it is when they go to try and have children and they realize something is wrong and they're not able to conceive. Um, that's a lot of when women are diagnosed. so um, it's the number one cause of infertility in women. It causes um, can cause obesity in women, uh, sleep apnea, insomnia, pelvic pain, hirsutism, which is hair growth on the face. Like you're, you're talking face, chest, stomach, back. Pretty much, it's an increase in male hormones. So it also then can turn around and cause male pattern baldness. So, you know, you got the hair everywhere else, but not on your head. Um, And then the cysts on the ovaries, acne, oily skin, dandruff, man, there's just so many. Uh, And recently within like the last couple of years here, I, I I was struggling. Um, I was going to the dentist so much and they would be like, Hey, you know, you got another cavity, you got, you know, or we need to do a root canal. And it was like, what in the world? I take care of my teeth. Um, So I recently learned that it actually causes tooth decay. So it's just one thing after another, right?
0: Yeah, no, I hear you. And it's funny you mentioned, by the way, I don't want to focus on the teeth because it's way more than this, but it is very funny. You mentioned this because we wrote a blog around dental hygiene and how because um, I was the same as you. I had cavities all the time and it was really annoying. My brother like never flossed. I don't even know if he <laughs> brushed his teeth very often, never had a cavity. Me, perfect child, had a cavity every single time I went to the dentist. And guess what? I have endometriosis and I heard yeah. it's also linked. So it's it's really interesting. All of these things that we've learned to live with, or just think there's something else wrong with it. There's all these root causes that we're just starting to learn about. So I appreciate you sharing that unique piece. Yeah. Um, But, you know, just generally, I think that was really helpful to learn about some of those symptoms. And, you know, again, like you had shared, even when you're diagnosed, you're still, you know, dealing with a lot. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you shared in your own experience how it impacted your life. I mean, would you say this is a very similar experience to most of the women? I don't know if you have any, like, other examples of things you've heard with all your years of supporting these women who've been struggling with PCOS, if you have maybe other examples of how these symptoms impact women's lives. So I think it'll help maybe women feel less shame and maybe feel more empowered that yes, there could be an answer for them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so I have an interesting story that kind of goes along with that, uh, that I just learned this past September during our first PCOS con. Uh, My mother came to the first PCOS con and, um, I heard something from her that I had not known. And I was like, you did what? (laughs) So she was sharing that when I was, before I was diagnosed, um, that a few medical professionals that we had seen had told her that it was in my head, that I was making things up and that I needed mental help. And so she thought in her mind, my, my mother's not a big, like, um, prescription drug type person. So she's more of a holistic, naturopathic type person. So she had this huge book uh, on um, natural ways to heal different things. And she decided that she was going to start giving me a placebo pill and that she was going to tell me that it was the cure to whatever was wrong with me. And um, I laugh now, but I'm pretty sure in the, in the back then I probably would not have laughed. But um, she said that for like the first week, I my spirits were up. Um, and she thought, okay, you know, this is this is working. I'm going to keep telling her that this pill is the cure all for for what's going on in her life. And she said that within two weeks, I did a 160 on that up and up and it turned into 10 times worse than what it had been before and at that point she realized that it was not in my head and that there was actually something wrong and that I needed more help and I needed to see second third fourth fifth opinions and I think that a lot of women that are going through the diagnosis process they know something is wrong and they're just not being heard or they, their symptoms are looking like, because there's so many different symptoms, their symptoms can look like something else. And I just, I, I need, and I want for people to understand that it, it's real, like this is real. And that if you aren't getting the answer that you want um, from one medical professional, go go to another medical professional um, because they're, as my mom always says, there's a reason why they call it practicing medicine. Like they don't have all the answers. So we definitely like, that's one of the things that PCOS Awareness Association strives for is that if, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're not getting the help over here, make sure you have the right to go someplace else and get the help that you need. So I think that's a common, unfortunately, that's a common thing that happens a lot and also, you know i you you sent me like the questions and everything, and one of the one of the things that I had looked at was you, you were asking about how the symptoms impact women's lives. Another thing that we see a lot it's not just mental, physical, and emotional it's in some cases it's spiritual um when you think about infertility and whatnot you're you're also talking about like the Bible says I'm supposed to be able to have children, so then it turns into well, then what's wrong with me so just those constant reminders. Um, we're, we're, we're now seeing a lot of different cultures that require women to be a specific way and be that wife and that mother, and they're not able to, and it could be a life and death situation. Um, we're talking like their religion says that their husbands have the right to leave them or have the right to hurt them if they... if. They can't provide children. So we're seeing so many different, ooh, it's, it's definitely heartbreaking.
0: That is really tragic. I, I'd never come across that, but now that you speak about it, it makes complete sense. And it is tragic that things can get to that extreme. So you have basically, you have an illness that creates a lot of symptoms um, that are mm-hmm. challenging to deal with and impact your daily life but it can be even more so than just the symptoms themselves, but the impact of those to the outside factors like potentially a marriage in in a given culture. So, um, you know, it's clear that this is something that may not be so easy to diagnose. And the research that I've done, it seems as though there's two different sets of criteria for diagnosis. The Rotterdam as well mm-hmm. as the AES or the Androgen Excess and PCOS Society criteria. And mm-hmm. from what I was seeing, it seems as though people are more leaning towards the AES, mm-hmm. um, but maybe you could shed some light on why there's two different criteria, like at a high level, what the difference is, and, and perhaps if, if that's one of the things that could be causing confusion. <laughs> Well, most
1: definitely, um, and so I, I actually know of three three sets of criteria. So there's the Rotterdam, which requires all three features, as in to be present in one person, so an ovulation, um, hyperandroidism, and cysts on the, um, seen on the ultrasound. But then there's also the European Society of the Human and Reproductive, and you know, along with the American Society of Reproductive Medicine. And they only require two of those three features. But then the Androgen Access PCOS Society, they look at it as a hyper um with ovarian cysts. So I th- that is so confusing. Like what <laughs> like who came up with this? <laughs> so I actually PCOS Awareness Association is a part of the Androgen Access Society. So we get to kind of see some ins and outs of how things are done. And the, I think really the largest problem is, is that none of these diagnosis criterias have been updated since the early 2000s. Like we are so far behind. It's, it's not even funny. From what I understand is that the Androgen Society is looking to Update, um, make updates to their, their criteria. I think that in medical medical guidelines, medical books, um, like one of uh, medical professionals going through school to get their medical degree, I believe it's it talks about the Rotterdam pr- criteria. But other than that, I don't believe it talks about the Androgen Access Society. So it, it's a fight. It's a it's a constant fight. And you're you're absolutely right that having these different criterias. It, it doesn't help the situation. Um, it doesn't help anybody, but and, and it, it needs to be updated most definitely.
0: That's interesting perspective. So would you say, and by the way, one of the things I know that we discussed offline is qualifying that um, you're not a doctor, but you clearly mm-hmm. know this space extremely well as a patient and someone running this organization and, and, and building it. Um, so just with that qualification, would you say that amongst the medical community, especially the experts in PCOS, is AES the more accepted criteria? Like, you know, if, if I were a woman, you know, and I'm not sure what's going on and I wanted to try to figure it out and I wanted to research criteria, like which one should I look at knowing that doctors are trained on one, another one's being updated, they're all old, like what would I yep. do?
1: Yeah, that's a different. That's a difficult question, only because the symptoms of PCOS vary from person to person. So, and I think that's why the Androgen Access Society is trying to make their qualifications the, you know, the qualifications, because it does not, it it doesn't exclude or it doesn't um, disqualify certain things that could be PCOS. Um, and I think that that's why it's so difficult to diagnose it in, in, in general is because it's, um, you know, if you have PCOS and I have PCOS, they could be two very different, they could present themselves in two very different ways. I, I just hope that we come up with a, a criteria that is a cover coverall for, for everybody, but at the same time doesn't over- I guess you say overdiagnose people too, because they like it could it could present itself looking like um, I know one of your questions is going to be about uh, the different types of PCOS and, and so thyroid disease um, looks kind of like PCOS. So there's there's just different there's different ways that somebody with PCOS could be researching, and I just hope that at some point we come to an agreement, like whether it's, we sit down with the Rotterdam criteria people and we, you know, we come up with an agreement and we make that the specification that goes into medical documentations and, and online
0: resources. So. That makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, this is hard now, given, um, now I know you did qualify by saying that, everyone will present in a different way but mm. perhaps there's a theme we can pull out from this which is you clearly went through years of mm. trying to be diagnosed and then ultimately were diagnosed what finally what was the thing was it just happening to run into the right doctor was it knowing the right questions cuz you were on the journey for so long and if you knew earlier you would have asked them earlier like what finally got at least the diagnosis
1: yeah, that's a good question too. So, I would definitely suggest somebody who thinks that they have PCOS keep keep kind of a um, a journal um, of your symptoms and what how you how you're feeling and what you're going through. Um, my mother did that for me. Like I don't I didn't do it, <laughs> but I know that she kept a nice little journal about. Oh yeah, today Megan had horrible anxiety, or today she you know she just wanted to veg out on sweets for all day, every day type thing. So um, she kept a good, good, solid journal about the things that I was going through. And like you said, I think we came across this medical professional that finally diagnosed me by chance. It was, there was no, yeah, there was no trying to search for a PCOS specialist because we didn't know it was PCOS. But at the same time, like I said, be your own advocate. If you really feel there's something wrong and, that, and a medical professional is telling you something totally different that you feel like is just not the proper diagnosis, you have every right to find a, a medical professional that you feel is actually listening to what you, your needs and your wants And we we do offer on our website a search for medical professionals in your area based off of your your zip code that are PCOS specialists. So the way that that search works is that medical professionals, when they bill to insurance companies, they use what's called an ICD-10 code. And there's a special code specifically for PCOS. And so the search engine that we offer pretty much pulls that how many times um, a specific doctor uses that PCOS um, ICD, ICD-10 code in their practice. And for whoever, you know, in your area, for whoever uses that code the most, they are considered a specialist because they obviously have the eye the and the no to be able to see what qualifies as PCOS and what doesn't. So we highly suggest using that, that resource.
0: Wow, what a great tool. I love the way that you created the methodology. Cause as you were about to explain, I was wondering how you came up with that list. So I think that's a great, a great methodology. Thank you for sharing that. And I did want to talk about the different types of PCOS. And I learned about this through reading Dr. Lara Bryden's uh, book, The Period Repair Manual, which is such a fantastic book around all things period related, but women's health generally. And she spoke about having insulin-resistant PCOS, post-pill-related PCOS, inflammatory-related and adrenal-related. And so I thought maybe you could share some helpful insights about about these. Yeah, absolutely. And and, um, I
1: do want to reiterate that I have heard that that book is excellent. So please, if somebody uh, has the opportunity, read that book. (laughs) But insulin-resistant PCOS, Again, well, first of all, again, people with PCOS, we present it so many different ways. And so insulin-resistant PCOS is the most common. Um, it presents itself similar to diabetes. That's the number one reason why they pre- they prescribe metformin. And then you have the post-pill, which is a lot of women after they come off of the birth control pill they find that they, their periods have not come back. So it's like, what, what happened? Why, why did this happen? Um, And so I personally feel like the pill masks and hides symptoms. So when you're on the pill, you, you really don't know what's going on with your body because the pill is hiding all of those symptoms, which possibly could be PCOS symptoms. Um, and then when you come off of the pill, it's like, wait a minute, um, I've got PCOS. So, <laughs> um, And then inflammatory PCOS, one of the largest suggestions that I have is lower your stress <laughs> and take some vitamin D. You, your body is inflamed and you just need to do things that take measures into your own hands or see a medical professional to lower your inflammation. And adrenal PCOS... That's the one that can present itself as thyroid disorder. So another thing that they they say or that I've heard is that, again, lower that stress level, which is so much easier to say than you can actually do. So I like to find different ways to try and lower the stress, whether it's um, taking a personal me day, like, you know, do your hair, do your makeup, get your nails done, just, have an unstressful day to bring down those stress levels. But the different types of PCOS, I have not really heard any of different ways to diagnose them. So I, if you have, Georgia, if you have any sort of suggestions on or insight on the different ways to diagnose these four different types of PCOS, I, I am all ears.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, you know, we can certainly talk offline about that because I think it would be really interesting to look at the process. Uh, So for those that don't know, my background is consulting. I do everything process related. (laughs) It's just how I think, (laughs) you know, it almost just seems like there has to be a methodology. It can't just be like a list of criteria. And I'm not saying Mm -hmm. that's all that the, um, the AES is doing, but. It just seems like like almost running down like an exclusion criteria, right? Yep. To figure out that this is not this because you've tried this, this, and this. I like that. Um, given, yep. given that it's so hard to diagnose. Um, and then as a result, based on why it's happening, here are the ways to treat it would be just my thinking. But we can certainly get into detail offline. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a Facebook group as well, FemPower Power Health. And we had posed a question to our private group around what they would want me to ask you. And one of the <laughs> questions was around Triggers for PCOS? And this is actually a really interesting question because an illness starts for some reason, right? Or maybe it's always there and then the symptoms appear because of something. Um, You may have alluded to it somewhat with uh, respect to talking about things that you can do to prevent or, or. mitigate like the inflammatory pcos etc mm-hmm. but have you seen like any research um or just through your own experience around are there themes around types of triggers that could either cause it or inflame the pcos
1: yeah yeah actually um me personally so i have a few few things so when i was nine and i started showing symptoms again the stress level stress was huge for me then. And it was emotional, um, stress, my trigger, what they believe my trigger was. I actually found my grandmother deceased and, uh, home alone found her deceased. And I went through, you know, an emotional stress with that. So that was literally like within a few months of me starting to show PCOS symptoms. And so that, in talking with, so I've, I've been, again, I've been to many different doctors and whatnot. I've been to therapists also and therapists, my therapist believes that that was my trigger for PCOS. Also another thing I've, I've seen an acupuncturist and in the Chinese medicine, they look at your body as, you know, kind of a happy, sad thing. My acupuncturist saw my body like the inside of my body as being sad and dark and kind of gloomy. And she put it as like, what happens in dark, cold spaces? You know, mold starts growing. So she she looked at my PCOS as kind of like a mold um, growing in, inside my body. And, and that was an interesting way of putting it, but it, it made sense. So um, I've also heard of things like, the things that we put into our body. Um, are you eating fast foods all the time? Are you smoking? I've even heard uh, Agent Orange um, from the war. Like, Did your grandfather get exposed to Agent Orange? You, that may be the cause of your PCOS. So there's, there's just so many different things that have not been fully researched um, because there, I, I feel like there really isn't enough I guess you could say uh, enough people researching PCOS to, to enough resources to research, research these types of things with PCOS. And then, uh, that can just open up a whole, whole nother doors if we found out what actually were the triggers and or the, the cause of PCOS.
0: Thank you for sharing that. And I'm really sorry for what you went through and finding your grandmother that I can't even imagine what, what that was like. But I do appreciate you sharing that story as well as some of these other examples. Cause so I think it is, you know, it always starts from something, right? And it's important and it is important to know that we don't always know quite yet. We have a lot mm-hmm. of research to do. FemPower Health is pleased to partner with the upcoming FemTech and Consumer Innovation Summit. The summit is the latest deep dive event, part of the women's health innovation series, looking to tackle this growing sector of women's health. Having had continental success in driving innovation, investment, research, and partnerships in traditional women's healthcare by bringing together critical stakeholders, join us in New York on June 7th and 8th as we channel this success into the consumer sector of women's health. Visit www.femtechconsumerinnovation.com to view the superstar speaker lineup and enter code FEMPOWER15 for 15% off your ticket. Hope to see you there. Now, through even your own personal story, it's clear that PCOS is really complex and, you know, it can impact your weight, your skin, your hair, your fertility, your mental health. How does that impact treatment. So for example, like I'm just thinking, you know, mental health, like I've heard so much about like very serious mental health concerns that PCOS patients present with. I've even seen alerts on like Reddit groups of if you're feeling, you know, suicidal, like you need to call 911 or something like that. So it can really, really impact the symptoms, but you know, I'm just wondering how how that impacts the treatment as well. Do you find that doctors may tend to look at one aspect of it and just, like, for example, throw metformin on you? Tell us a little bit about how the treatment decisions tend to be, if there's any gaps um, that women face.
1: Yeah, I. It, when we first started with PCOS Awareness Association, like, we were constantly getting... Um, there was even one time I had to. We got a message into our inbox, and it was like, "I'm feeling like I can't go on, and I I want to end my life." And I literally had to play detective and find out where this this young lady was located, and call her local precinct to to see if somebody can go out and do a, a mental health check for her and make sure she was okay. So that, that's another resource that we recently just started having on our website is, or for I, I should say on your cell phone, <laughs> if you text Christ, uh, text PCOS to our crisis text line, um, you know, you get that help immediately via your cell phone. So uh, that I felt strongly about having that resource because it, it's just the mental health capacity on, on PCOS is just so great. And I feel like when you go to an OBGYN or an endocrinologist, they're not taking that part in account um, and if they are like my, me, myself, I was, you know, given some antidepressants and, but that, that's not really getting to, again, it's not getting to the cause. It's not getting to the, the, down to the the figure of what's actually going on. And, and that, that mental health piece is so vast, um, and being overlooked. Mental health and, you know, we we often get just told, lose weight and we'll be fine. So the weight aspect, weight is one of the hardest things to, to keep in check when you have PCOS. It's, I can smell a, you know, a bagel from a mile away and gain five pounds. So it, it's just that telling somebody that that they have to lose weight and that's all you need to do to Help your PCOS symptoms, that feeds into the mental depression and anxiety right there. Um, it's a vicious circle that we continually go through. So I just believe that finding that mental, I mean, I'm sorry, finding that medical professional that looks at you as a whole is very important. Um, you may not even find just one medical professional to do that. You may have to go to multiple. Uh, like me myself, I said I, I see an OPGOIN and I see a um a acupuncturist and I see a therapist. So there's I'm trying to to reach all aspects of my PCOS.
0: That's really important to bring up. I know that I had spoken with one of the clinicians that runs the PCOS clinic out of University of California in San Francisco. And you know, she was talking about how ideally you need a team. And I think you identified who that team is. I'm just curious for those, because I hear a lot of people talking about the hair loss and trying to figure out what to do with that. So would you say that, you know, I've also heard, by the way, adding to your team, a nutritionist, and sometimes people can't afford them, but if it's possible, those are ideal too. But would you say, from like a hair loss perspective, do OBGYNs tend to look at that and and have the training on treating that, or is it are they more like on the side of like prescribing of things like metformin?
1: You know, that's a really good question because I'm trying to think back. Like, I don't think that my OBGYN ever we ever discussed hair loss. We we discussed the hair growth, um, and she prescribed me Vanica for that, but. Other than that, I don't think she ever touched on the fact of you know the, the male pattern baldness. Now my my hairdresser has <laughs> most definitely my hairdresser has, and she's tried to give little ideas, tips and tricks. Don't pull, don't you know, don't pull it back too much. Um, don't use these products, that type of thing. But but really, I haven't come across anybody else that's really trying to help the male pattern baldness of
0: PCOS. Interesting. And here I thought it was a silly question and you'd say, of course they do. Um, So I guess I'm glad I asked the question. And I think, you know, one thing I I do want to share with the audience, and I think at Fem Power Health, we're really trying to shed light on as we interview wonderful people like Megan is no one is at all saying doctors are bad. I think one Mm -hmm. of the things that's coming clear, even in this interview is there's You know how doctors are trained, how guidelines are set, what research is done, where funding is spent. This is so unbelievably complex. Then you think about it like if a doctor who's 60 went through training and didn't get retraining, they're going to have different knowledge than someone who just got out of med school. But then also doctors are trained on so many things. How are they going to know every little thing about every possible disease? And so- I think hopefully what's starting to become clear, even with this hair loss, like you had to go to your hairdresser. So I think as women and probably patients anywhere, because I'm sure that men have to face this with some of their specific illnesses, yeah. even though they do have more clinical trials with men in yeah. it, you know, I think we just have to continue fighting. And that's the message we want to share at FemPower yeah. Health. But there are resources, like, and there's ways, but we just have to remember not to grin and bear it and not to shy away and to just keep fighting and finding the right resources. Um, so thanks for sharing these. As far as treatments, so there's common treatments I hear about for PCOS and wanted to get your thoughts on them. So high level, the pill, going on a diet, the main ones I hear people talking about are keto, cutting out sugar, minimizing carbs, and then there's metformin and then myonositol. So I thought we could break these down and maybe you can just give a summary and then if there's any other treatments that you wanted to, to share and, and the rationale for them, that would be great. For the pill, I hear mixed reviews and I think you <laughs> had mentioned this up front, which is the pill mask symptoms. Mm-hmm. So many dis- doctors will prescribe it. But yet when you look at like Dr. Larry Bryden's book and a lot of other naturopaths, there's major concern that the pill simply masks one's symptoms. And yet, I think when you and I first spoke, we talked a lot about how young women, when they seem to be presenting with not just PCOS symptoms, but other illnesses as well, it's, here's the pill, come see me when you want to have a kid. You know, we could probably do a whole podcast on just the pill, but since we don't have the whole podcast just for this topic, maybe at a high level, like what are your I guess reactions that about what people should be aware of when it comes to the pill and PCOS.
1: Yeah. um, First I want to, you know, again, like you said, it's not that anything's bad. It just what works for some may not work for all or vice versa. Um, The pill. I was on the pill for a long time after, after I was diagnosed with PCOS, they put me on the pill to help regulate some things and keep, keep my levels in order and whatnot. Um, when I came off of the pill is when like everything started happening. that was like what, 2021 someplace around there I was admitted to the ER, just everything just started falling apart because those symptoms were masked. And, and by that time it was probably like, Oh, (laughs) damn broke. Let's just have this all happen right now. (laughs) So the pill I feel like does mask symptoms, but on top of that there are so many types of pills. I think I, last I checked, I, b- I believe there was like 90 different types of birth control pills. So what I always like to say is if one pill's not working for you and you, you know, you feel like you need to be on the pill, try another one, have your doctor find that right pill for you. And I believe there's a new service I think it's called Nurex, Nurex nurex.com or something, something like that. But they help you walk through that process of deciding which pill is right for you. What do you need this pill for? And I, I like that idea because again, what works for me may not work for you and what works for you may not work for me. So having that, that direct access to what this pill is going to really do for me helps out a lot. As for diets, I actually just did a podcast with With a doctor and he he's like the big doctor for keto, so keep a lookout for that. But he just put it into perspective because for me, quick fad diets, which keto is not, keto is a life-changing diet. Um, but these quick fad diets don't work for me in particular. Um, I end up gaining the weight back times 10. So (laughs) that just that doesn't work. But if you find a diet that works for you. I'm not going to discredit what works for you. And again, it's just what works for you. And and then when you talk about metformin versus a vitamin, (laughs) I I would say go for the vitamin. Uh, Metformin causes me the biggest grief ever. I've never in my life felt so sick. My my dad, metformin is actually a a pill for diabetes. And my dad is pre-diabetic and they put him on metformin. And I remember the day that that, like a week later he was like how do you do this because I don't know whether I need to be you know sitting in front of a toilet or sitting on a toilet like I just don't understand and and I told him yep welcome to my world so metformin just works for some again and works doesn't work for others um some vitamins um there's goods and bads about vitamins too again you just have to find that that combination that works for you, and and it that means trying everything <laughs> and figuring out what works. And you can take insulin and metformin together. There's no, um, there's nothing out there that says that you can't take them at the same time um, because they have different benefits. Again, metformin was made for diabetes. Um, it reduces your insulin levels. Insitol reduces or assists in insulin receptors and has benefits like promoting ovulation, ovulation. So it just really, what matters is what you are trying to achieve in doing a diet or taking um, the pill or taking medications or a vitamin. It, it, it all comes down to what, what is your ultimate goal? What symptoms are you trying to assist
0: So it sounds like this isn't a one-size-fits-all. and That's probably what also makes PCOS so difficult is, you know, it sounds like there's potentially four different kinds, and as a result, it probably requires different treatments, and there's a lot of other factors going on in women's bodies, but the good news is there's a lot of options and things to try. Now, one thing, just given you work with so many people, and I see this question a lot online and in various groups, is around the diet where some women, and I I believe, so don't quote me on this, but I believe it often related to keto where they would be on a diet and then lose so much weight and then they couldn't keep it on. So they would go to the other extreme, have you seen women that you've worked with talk about this? And I'm curious if you found any answers to that.
1: You know, this is the first time I ever heard of that. Okay, um, and I, I would love to talk to somebody who who that is happening to and see what what exactly what kind of th- there are a few diff- t- different types of keto. So um, I would love to see what keto that they're they're on, and also then on top of that, which. PCOS they have. So I think that needs some more research.
0: <laughs> and any other, so we talked about the pill, um, the keto diet. I know some just focus on minimizing sugar and carbs. And I guess to your point earlier, it's just going to depend on the body type. Um, and then the metformin versus the myonositol. Is there anything else that you know, either you've tried or people that you've worked with have tried that could be added on the list for consideration?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm a number one firm believer of acupuncture. Like (laughs) acupuncture changed me personally and my PCOS. It changed my life. So a few years ago, I decided to try to go more healthy and more natural. I changed the way I was eating and it wasn't keto. It was, I just wasn't counting my carbs, uh, I'm sorry, my calories or my intake. I was just being more conscious about. What I was putting into my body. And then I also started working out. But then, with working out, I was feeling like I was still so tired and fatigued all the time. And I didn't have the energy to go work out. Um, so it just so happens I had run into a gal who was a women's health acupuncturist. So I think that that is important too. You, you shouldn't just go to any old acupuncturist, you should find one that is special, specializes in women's health and knows the ins and outs of PCOS. Um, And so I started seeing her and and really like the first few sessions were literally like um, a therapy session one. Um, And then it turned into like I told you, she she told me about myself (laughs) and I was like, Oh, that makes perfect sense. (laughs) And then it turned into, okay, so here's, here's the plan. And here's, you know, what we're going to do to, to help you using acupuncture and, let me tell you, my energy level went through the roof. Like my parents couldn't get me to be still. (laughs) Um, I just was like ready to work out. And so my workouts ended up going from like what, two to three times a week to seven days a week I was working out. And with that, and with combination of eating right, I ended up losing like almost 60 pounds in the span of about seven months. It, there wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like I had to, you you see a lot of people who work out and whatnot, and they literally have to work out for a few years before they reach 60, 70 pounds. But I literally lost about 60 pounds in a few months and it, I felt great. My cycles were absolutely normal. And, and I equate that to acupuncture not to the losing weight because I have gained some of the weight back as of today But my cycles are completely normal and I have gone to the doctor and I am ovulating. I'm not trying to be, not trying to get pregnant, but I am ovulating. So that's great to know that part has evened itself out. My acne is no more. My, I don't get the cyst pain anymore. I don't have sleep apnea anymore. And then on top of that, I haven't seen my my hair loss is not as much, but I have not seen hair regrowth. So it's just leveled and evened itself out since then. I, I'm such a firm believer on acupuncture.
0: <laughs> wow. That's great perspective. And we actually interviewed Dr. Mark Sklar out of San Diego and he is a doctor of uh, acupuncture and Chinese medicine. Mm-hmm. And he talks a lot about how this can help. So for anyone who's interested in further details from a medical perspective, it's a, it's a really great podcast. Uh, so thanks for sharing that. I think it's it's helpful to know. And what I love is that you have such a personal story with so many examples of challenges and successes. I think this is going to be so, so helpful for women. So... You know, I know we kind of talked about this, but I think it would still be helpful if we wanted to just summarize like your greatest concerns about PCOS slash, you know, available resources. So maybe what I would summarize and see if you have anything to add is from the concerns, it's really getting that criteria right, figuring out the root cause and and trying to figure out what's right for you. And then from a resource perspective, Obviously, your website has a ton of information, including how to find the right doctor. I'm just curious if you have anything to add to that.
1: Yeah, um, that is like the number one concern because we, we have done a surveys in the past and out of like a thousand people, 80% of those people have stated that they are unhappy with the way that their, their diagnosis process and their treatment have gone. That's a, that's, that's a huge number, 80%. And that's, that's deafening. So we really have to work on that medical professional patient relationship. Um, there needs to be an even ground on that level. We, I mean, we haven't spoken about it, but really that that's one of the reasons why we started PCOSCon, which is our biannual event. And um, we really wanted to have that that happy ground of, Medical professionals and patients come together towards a common goal that, you know, we can get this done and we can work together to, to make some things happen. So, that is the greatest concern of PCOS Awareness Association. That and just the research aspect, there's not enough research going on. Um, we do, we have in the past worked with uh, Lugin Labs, which is a lab that is out of Cornell University, um, and they happen to be the only. Research lab that is researching the cause of pcOS all of the all the other you know clinical trials and whatnot are about how to lose weight and how to cure the fertility issues with pcOS but really we were we wanted to work with Lugin labs because they were the only ones that were trying to get to the bottom of it and that is important to know um, because not uh, not everybody is trying to Lose weight. We do have what we call thin sisters, and then not everybody is trying to have children. So it's just important for us to work with, to get to that bottom line and work with Lujin Labs. But then on top of that, knowing that 0.02% of government funding is going towards the research of PCOS was like, okay, yeah, where do we sign up? How do we help you? So we really wanted to get to the bottom of that and, and help out Lujin Labs with their. Their research—that's
0: awesome. Do they have a research timeline that would be helpful for people to know on what to look out for, or um, are things just still being sorted out?
1: No, they—they have um, a—they have a timeline. So um, I can definitely get you the website. I'm sorry, I didn't—I should have had that website on hand, but I can definitely get you that website to be able to provide um, to your listeners. They—they have a website, and it's through Cornell University, so um, it's really easy to find.
0: Okay, we'll definitely definitely put the link on. That's wonderful. So, this has been such a, an interesting conversation. I think provides women at the very least insight on this is hard, don't give up. You know, given you're working with Lujin Health and you've been really or Lujin Lab, excuse me, and you've been working so much with PCOS directly and all the women who are struggling, what would you say is your greatest hope for women's health? Ooh, for
1: women's health. Um, I hope that one day we are on the same level as any other, you know, any other disease or disorder that's getting and gaining and providing attention. With so many women having PCOS and so many women struggling with other women's health topics in general, we often get pushed under the rug. I think that when we first started, when I first started PCOS Awareness Association, we were trying to reach out to celebrities and and prominent figures and stuff. We literally heard back from like two PR people of these prominent figures that PCOS just isn't sexy enough to support. And, and that's so hurtful because it's not sexy for us either. Like <laughs> that, that shouldn't be the goal. The goal should be how do we help and how do we fix this? It shouldn't be, oh, we can only help if, if it's a sexy cause. So I think the ultimate goal is to shed light on it and, and make sure that everybody that needs the support gets the support that they need.
0: Absolutely. I agree. And kudos to everything you've done over the years. And I'm really sorry for all the struggles that you've had, but it sounds like you've come out on the other side. I know, of course. Um, having PCOS is a, a daily management of life. But it sounds like with the work you all are doing, there's so much change that can happen and the the way you all are getting involved in making that change. So thank you for everything that you're doing. And I think yeah. your story and the information you provided today, I think will give women a lot of hope that there are answers, but mm-hmm. also acknowledging that, you know, it is something that they have to manage every day, but it is possible. So thank you yes. for sharing that.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Thank you. And yeah, most definitely. Thank you so
0: much. All of this delivered straight to your inbox, cutting through the noise of social media algorithms.